Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. We're part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today is going to be Andrew Allegretta. He is one of the play-by-play voices for Vanderbilt Athletics. Michael will appear on the guest line that's presented by Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group. Michael is a local carpenter and a lifelong Vandy fan. He builds bookshelves, cabinets, picture frames, furniture, and made-to-order items, including a display case for my prized Dale Murphy jersey. I've seen Michael's work. He's a true craftsman. If you're in the market for custom woodwork, give Michael a call, 615-830-9458. Now on to our interview with Andrew Allegretta. Andrew Allegretta joins us. It is Wednesday morning. It's UT week. It's the day before Thanksgiving. We got a winning streak to talk about. We got basketball. We may not get into that today because that game's tonight as we speak. A lot of moving parts around here, Andrew. Hope you're doing well. Uh, I'm doing very well. We've got moving parts uh, for us, getting the broadcast ready. It's always kind of a clunky week. It's a fun week, but it's a clunky week when you throw Thanksgiving into the mix. Like, everybody's trying to get all of their stuff done by Wednesday, uh, which, you know, like, it's a football game week that's next to impossible. So, uh, we're all we're all sprinting toward the finish line and hopefully doing a good job in the process. I'm just glad this isn't the Egg Bowl where it's on Thursday. Oh, that would be a nightmare. Can you imagine? Yeah, yeah, and and it's just like I, I do. As much as the week is clunky, you do enjoy uh, the ability to spend a few moments with family on Thanksgiving because, like, after all, uh, you know, that's what that is for. Uh, so to not have that kind of uh, thrown into the mix, uh, I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah, the, the beat I would not want to be on this week is the Ole Miss beat. You've got a Thanksgiving Day game, and you've got the, the yeah. coaching stuff. That would be just a, a I can't, nightmare I can't, on holidays. Yeah, I can't imagine why you would want off of that beat. I cannot imagine why you would want off of that beat. No idea. Yeah, I mean, I I think it, I think it's enough just to cover a rivalry game this week and try to keep an eye on basketball with holidays too, But and, and that goes to a new level there. But anyway, let's talk yeah. Vandy, and let, let's start with the, the last game played against Florida. And let's start here because I meant to get into this. I think so much has happened, and in the sort of the shock of the win, uh, man, those last two plays in that game, we were in the press box looking at each other, going, "What's going on? Like, how did the game not end on the the pass that was near the sideline? Why was the clock stopped? They." game should have ended before the ball was snapped on the last play like when you're sitting there watching that game with Norman what are you guys thinking and talking about well I think our call kind of reflected it um you know my initial reaction was like everybody else uh he was in bounds so my comment was in the moment that that's gonna do it that the clock is gonna expire and Bandy is gonna win and then he came in and he stopped the clock and Norman and I were both deeply confused and uh, if anyone hasn't heard it i certainly you know if you want to chuckle through the whole process uh, go track it down on my my twitter account it's posted there um you know we were perplexed uh we were trying to stay in the moment while at the same time reflect the chaos you know i, I think as it was going on and clark kind of noted this 
uh, at his press conference on Tuesday, I, I kind of felt the same way as him. Like I'm watching it to start certain of what should be happening while at the same time pausing to go, what did I miss? Is there something about the yeah. rules that I missed? Did I miss the first down? Did I miss the definition of getting out of bounds? Like if your momentum carries you out in a certain fashion, does it stop the clock? Uh, I, we've not gotten any sort of explanation from the SEC. And, and quite frankly, I, I wouldn't be shocked if we never get one. That might stay internal. Uh, and, and the league might desire it to stay internal, um, in part because it didn't affect the outcome of the ball game. Um, I was also miffed by exactly how much Anthony Richardson threw the football out of bounds. <laughs> um, yeah, that was that, that was well into the well out of the end zone. <laughs> yeah, you know, going back and watching it, I don't think this was the case, but but for a half a second ago, I wonder if he just chucked it out of bounds because he knew how ridiculous the whole scenario was. Maybe that's um, it. He he felt he felt bad about the way the clock didn't <laughs> yeah. stop. So he just said, yeah, I'll, sure. "I'll end it here." <laughs> I'm sure that's how it happened. Um, it was chaos, um, but also like in a weird way because you get to the other side with a victory. Uh, fun chaos. It's fun chaos that you're going to remember, um, bec- because of just the absurdity of it all. And, and going back to watch it two or three or four or a hundred times at this point. I don't think anybody made a mistake, like in terms of us from a Vanderbilt perspective, right? We saw it as we saw it. And the more that I watch it, the more I think, yeah, all of us on the Vanderbilt sideline were correct in it. Now, I know that the officials, when they adjudicate triple zeros on the clock, are, are told to, because I talked with Clark a little bit at the Monday Night Radio show, they're, they're taught to look at the clock. And then when they see triple zeros, look at the football. And if there's not an active snap happening, then it's a delay of game or, you know, it's triple zeros or the game's over or whatever. Um, which again, because in officials parlance, uh, triple zeros isn't exactly the end of the game, right? Like there's a triple zeros counts as a second and then it's the end of the game. Um, but the more, the more I watch it, I'm like, triple zeros ball. It's not an active snap. Like it it was, it was a bit stunning. And I, I, you know, you watch it all, and from a fan standpoint and from a Vandy standpoint, you go, how could they do this? And you shake your fist, and then you kind of take a second, and you go, well, from a human standpoint, everybody just blacked out. Like, everybody yeah. just blacked out. The official on the sideline thought it was the first down. He was incorrect. Uh, and then we all had to try to, like, get ourselves back on track. Not, not that this comparison is totally apples to apples but it's almost like if you're in a theatrical performance and somebody messes up their line like the entire cast now has to right, figure out a way right. to to cover it up and get to the finish line in a way that makes sense for everybody and and somebody flubbed their line and nobody could figure out how to how to gloss over it so it was chaos but i'm glad it certainly didn't hurt us clark lee made a really good point at tuesday's press conference um talking about how they just teach the team, I guess, uh, I may be inventing words for him, to, to play through that and move on. And you almost got the impression like they're sitting there just going crazy as a coaching staff going, what, what is it that we're watching? Uh, and, and I had the same reaction. of just like, what am I, am I missing or forgetting a rule or a nuance here? Um, I, I know he had to be thinking the same thing, but he said, hey, give credit to our guys. Um, they were ready and in position to where, you know, more or less, I guess there wasn't a throw there to be had on the last play. I think his his uh, his he was proud of the hail mary defense that they played. 
yeah. uh, and the ability to get set in the Hail Mary defense. Now, it didn't matter because the football got chucked out of the back of the end zone and probably down to Broadway based on how far he threw it. Um, so it, it didn't necessarily matter, but I'm sure there's some coach somewhere, as much as Clark is trying to uh, manage the clock in that situation, and you can see him on, on video doing such, I'm, I'm sure the defensive staff was was getting the guys set for a Hail Mary defense, and they responded appropriately. So, you know, they, they, they teach that stuff. They do those trails in practice, um, and they and they clicked in at the right moment. Um, again, we're all just incredibly thankful that it did not harm Vanderbilt. Uh, because I, I don't, you know, the league would have to come out, I, I think, and either explain why it was handled appropriately or, or B, uh, just had to have been like, whoops, our mistake, but Florida wins, which would have just been, you know, I've, I've heard stories over the past. Yeah. I, I've heard some stories over the past week or so about fair catches that, that Vanderbilt, I think against Old Miss once upon a time that Vanderbilt you know, somebody called for a fair catch. It bounced off to the, the punt returner for Old Miss, and Vandy scooped it up and took it for a touchdown. But because it didn't hit the ground, it technically wasn't a fumble. I, I've heard some kooky stories over the past week. Yeah, so, oh, there's there's been a few. Yeah, and this would have been right at the top if it had slipped, but thankfully it didn't. I was out at practice on Tuesday. I mean, I, I say practice. We were there on the field for basically his talk to the team, which we didn't hear, but – it just struck me how the mood was in that game. That team looks like it is sky high at the moment to play, and I know that they have prided themselves on keeping even keeled and being prepared for whatever. So, like that's the, the mood has never like been bad, but you could just sense an energy <laughs> around that program when when you watched it yesterday. It, it kind of felt like we'd like to play this game right now today and there were a lot of people Andrew I don't know if it was coach ordered I don't think it was um I saw a lot of people staying after practice getting extra extra reps extra whatever it it felt like yeah I don't I mean I'll I'll take your word for it Chris I was there too I I don't it's hard to uh, evaluate exactly how many people are are after practice I'm not uh, shaking that off right like I I recognize there was a lot of people i I felt uh, like it was more than normal yeah and it certainly it certainly might have been i I think i think where my head goes with all of this is sort of what clark talked about at the press conference and and they do a pretty good job i I think of of teaching into the process and and teaching into uh, their systems and you know the results are something that comes naturally again i feel like i'm talking about the baseball program whenever i talk about this sort of stuff uh, but but much like the baseball program sort of got buoyed uh, by their 2004 success that they found rather rapidly in Tim Corbin's second year. Um, it's one thing to stay committed to a process, but it's another thing to throw your heart into the process because you've seen results. And the results, it, it's, it's the same darn thing we've talked about all season, Chris. It's like, it is, is the overall trajectory of Vanderbilt's program under Clark Lee altered by one, perhaps two wins? I, you know, I don't know. He's, he's trying to build a foundation of the program and grow it from there. But, but, I, but I will tell you, people work a little bit harder when they can start to see some results from the process, yeah. right? It's just human, it's human nature. It doesn't mean the progress. It's not like all of a sudden Clark did something differently. 
between Kentucky no. and South Carolina, right? Like nothing's changed from a from a foundational standpoint between South Carolina and Kentucky. It's just on a given day they went out and they were able to get the results because uh, to an extent the the style made the fight and, and Vanderbilt won the fight. And then again, the style made the fight against Florida and Vanderbilt won the fight. So all of a sudden you feel differently about the plan in place. And which doesn't mean you disregard it. You believed the plan before, but now you really believe the plan. That's all, that's all just human nature um, for better or for worse. Um, So it it was good to see practice kind of bouncing. I've always kind of seen practice bouncing a bit, but you know, there's a lot more smiles on faces out there. Yeah. And that's what I've tried to tell people. Like when I would go out there and they were in the middle of the losing streak, people were still positive. People still had their heads up. Uh, it, it wasn't like the mood was ever bad and the team looked demoralized. But I mean, I think when, as much as they try to keep eat things even, when you get two big wins like that, you can't help but <laughs> but have it show on your face right. a little bit. Um, right. The, the other thing now recognizes yeah. if you go and get slaughtered by Tennessee, which I'm not articulating that it's going to happen, but. Remember, this stuff is cyclical. Again, to borrow a, a baseball metaphor, you're only as good as your next game's starting pitcher. So if somebody goes and hangs a curveball on Saturday and it just gets walloped, well, we're going to be in a different psychological place. So, which is why coaches, Nick Saban, Clark Leach, and Corbin take a pick, uh, articulate the details in the preparation, uh, right? Clark says all the time, like, unleash your preparation on your opponent, which just means that you have to prepare every single game and if you do the work and you prep the right way, you give yourself the best possible chance on any given game. And then you've got to do it again and again and again. You talk about the plan. I, I think the part about Saturday that I think is still maybe a little under-discussed, Florida is one of the best rushing teams in the country. To hold them to 2.1 yards per carry was amazing. And I thought, not to like, I feel like I'm handing over the blueprint to another team. I, I just, Norm and I talked on the air a couple of times, a bit miffed that it took them as long as it did to figure out alternative ways to move the football. Yeah. Um, and I felt, I felt the same way about Kentucky too, which is why I say style makes the fight because the part of Vanderbilt's defense that is strongest is the rush defense. And the part of the defense that is the weakest, with all due respect, is the pass defense. I'm not breaking news to anybody. Uh, and Kentucky and Florida were adamant to run the football. And because they were adamant to run the football, they kept Bandy in the game as long as possible. And then Bandy made plays down the stretch to win it, um, in- including including taking advantage of some mistakes from the opponent and whatever. Bandy made the opponent frustrated by playing as well as it did. Thus, the opponent makes mistakes like penalties or turnovers. Um, but the defense was great. I mean, 45 yards rushing is, is shocking. Now, 400 yards passing, right? But because Florida was so adamant to run the football um, and Bandy was able to convert on third downs offensively, this whole game just got shrunk down, condensed, and Bandy made the right plays at the right time and took advantage of penalties and mistakes. But, I mean, that's, that's putting a big old highlighter, Chris, on styles make the fights. And the past two styles helped Bandy win the fight. Well, the two guys that won them the game, I think, as much as anybody, were C.J. Taylor and Jalen Mahoney. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to dismiss their performances. Um, you know, 
C.J. Taylor knocking down two two-point conversions totally alters the way the stretch of that ball game happens and the score within the stretch run of that ball game, plus the missed extra point there by Florida. Um, and Mahoney's first interception of the season was, was gorgeous, which I totally misidentified in my call, by the way. You talk about things that play-by-play guys go back and they go, ugh, man. Well, hey, it, it, was, it, was, it was hard to see, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a catch and a fumble instead of uh, a deflected interception, but regardless. And, and you talk about the rest of the defense too, Chris. I mean, you just have to consider how well the linebackers played. You're talking about Montreal Johnson, one of the best running backs in the SEC, was the 2021 uh, Sun Belt uh, Rookie of the Year last year with Billy Napier at Louisiana Lafayette. Um, and, and the defense stepped up big. The linebackers, Anthony Orgy, so on and so forth down the list. And Obviously, the defensive linemen uh, were gap sound. So, you know, C.J. Taylor played fantastic. Yeah, the Mahoney made a big play with the turnover. But, you know, the stability up up front with the front seven was uh, a huge factor, too. I was, I guess, not totally shocked, but a little surprised to see an or situation at quarterback for this week. Um, between A.J. Swan and Mike Wright, uh, Swan certainly seems to be better equipped to beat Tennessee where it's weak and that the Vols' weaknesses past defense are fairly good against the run. I'll be really interested to see what we see behind center for Vanderbilt on Saturday. If that's just a a bluff or you really might see A.J. Swan. Well, I don't know for sure, right? Um, I think Mike has executed the offense in a way that has been exceedingly effective um, because of both his strengths and his, um, you know, weakness is not the right word, but, but where he excels and where he's not quite as strong has kind of forced them to call plays that lean into a design and structure. I feel like I'm talking like Clark now um, that keep them ahead of schedule. <laughs> We've been to right? too many press conferences, haven't we? <laughs> uh, it keeps them ahead of schedule by forcing the issue with the run. Um, and they've been very, um, committed to that. Um, and I give, I really do honestly, uh, Chris, give a lot of credit to Joey Lynch, uh, because I, I think, I think there's, and I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, but it feels like there's been a, a bit of a, a growth process in, in managing an offense that is really designed for AJ, not at the onset, right? Like Joey designed the offense and was part of a development of an offense that predates the recruiting of AJ Swan. I just mean the quarterback like AJ kind of befits the offense of Joey Lynch um, and trying to figure out how to best use Mike Wright and his skill set, his legs, his ability to throw, how to take advantage of people's attention with Will Shepard, how to best take advantage of big targets like Sean Wald and Ben Brezhne hand and get the football and speedsters like Jade McGowan's hands. I mean, it's, it's, there's been a growth process. And I think as much as anything on offense, especially with Mike playing, uh, certainly what I've noticed is they, they have, at least I feel like, and I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, but I feel like they have kind of come to a sense of clarity of what that offense looks like. Um, and they'll design wrinkles into the game plan, right? Obviously, as you head to Tennessee, uh, but you just get a sense that there's more uh, grounding and clarity about what it's, what it's like to run an offense with Mike right behind center. So 
you know, whether it's Mike or AJ, I don't know. Um, I think a lot would depend on exactly how much AJ can, to get himself healthy and practice and up to speed. You know, there's a difference between getting cleared to play uh, and getting your game reps and your timing back in. So that certainly has to be considered as well. Well, they ran against Florida 46 times and threw it 16. Now, a lot of that, I'm sure, was designed because Florida's run defense had been poor. Uh, but speaking of running, where would they be without Ray Davis? 30 carries, 122 yards, just does a little bit of everything. He's carried it 211 times this year. And, I mean, if you look at what they have had behind him, or maybe a better way to put it, haven't had behind him, I don't know what this team does if Ray Davis has not stayed healthy the whole year. No idea, right? It was it was supposed to be a position of depth and strength, and then all of a sudden that changes with Patrick Smith missing the first four games, and he's been out of sync for a better part of the season. I, I don't want to say just because of the four games, but look, uh, the whole team is on game 12. He's gone game eight, so there's a difference there. Um, you know, you don't want to burn the red shirt of Chase Gillespie, who's looked good. You lost a running back uh, up front. Uh, that was taken off the team. You had Rocco Griffin decide to step away. Um, it's been a, it's been an interesting season at that position. Um, and I think one thing that we'll kind of try to hammer home is on our broadcast this weekend is the fact that, that quite frankly, Ray Davis is having an all time season at Vanderbilt. Uh, I'm not saying it's the best and he's the best running back that's ever, you know, <laughs> wore black and gold, but it's an all time season. He's currently 10th single season, uh, rushing yardage with a real chance uh, to get up to seven uh, single season and, uh, and pass guys like Jermaine Johnson. Um, you know, he's, he's tied fifth, uh, five, excuse me, five 100 yard rushing games is tied third single season. If he gets a sixth, that ties uh, Jermaine Johnson uh, for second. Um, he is gonna, I think, hmm, I'm trying to remember where he ranks in rushing attempts. Um, he's, he's, he's at 211 and he's one behind, uh, Ralph Webb with 212. I just can't remember if that ranks like fourth or fifth or something. All of that is to say, I mean, you go, up he's, he's going to be on a lot of lists either way, whatever yeah, the numbers yeah. are, whatever the numbers are exactly where he finishes. Who cares? My, my point is, is essentially that he's having an all time running back season at Vanderbilt and, and very much should be in the mix with, with names, like Ralph Webb or Jermaine Johnson or, you know, Norm Jordan or whatever. Take your pick. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. 
Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. I'm look. I'm seeing conflicting information. Uh, ESPN doesn't have him fumbling the ball at all this year, and I'm looking somewhere else. that has got him losing two. I, I don't remember him putting the ball on the ground. Do you? Not off the top of my head, but I, I certainly don't consider myself a stenographer having a photographic memory of every single play that happens in a football game. So <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. I don't know. But then why are you here, uh, Andrew? I know, right? Goodness gracious. Uh, do something else with your, your, your time. Um, I, I don't remember it. I'm not going to say it didn't happen. Uh, sometimes there's like tiny minutia. Like, heck, I, we were laughing the other day. Um, I'm convinced of this, and I'm not trying to like get anybody in trouble. I'm convinced that the women's basketball score the other day against um, St. Joe's uh, gave a point to St. Joe's that shouldn't have been there because someone was at the free throw line and somebody accidentally hit a plus two button instead of plus one. And nobody's like something it's like it doesn't matter right right it's not not a huge deal but my my point is like little stuff like that happens all the time um if you go to the stats page on the sec website they've got anthony orgy with one tackle total and if you go to the pdf on the sec website right you go to down to media season stats whatever and go through the full pdf they've got a different total for anthony orgy my point is there's just like a bajillion statistics and inevitably, yeah. you're going to find some discrepancies. Well, like I was looking on the the SEC's leaders on the on the PDF they put out for the media, uh, and the one y'all had there was a, there was a one tackle discrepancy there. I think. Um, yeah. Last time yeah, I looked, I know. How, how how dare they mess, <laughs> mess that up? <laughs> right. I mean, like to to an extent, you want. I mean, you want to get it right. Inevitably, uh, yeah. you know, people tend to go back and fix that sort of stuff because I, I mean, it does matter. Uh, it's a, you know. If you can label somebody as the SEC's leading tackler versus finishing second, it, it's a it's a different marketing thing, especially for the players when it comes to draft uh, draft time, uh, you know, and award time and all of that sort of stuff. Um, so I it, mean, it, it matters, but it, it matters so much and only matters in a certain context. I've tried to come up with a thing for Anthony Orgy that this not caught on. I I, I posted this um, in an article about a week ago. If you had a triple crown for linebackers, um, you wanted to say it's tackles, fumbles forced, fumbles recovered. Like he is leading the league or tied for the league in all those stats. Yeah, I, I mean it's 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 pretty impressive. Um, he's been really consistent, and I think he's also been one of those upperclassmen that have been very, for the most part, steady and. You know, I don't know if they would say he was 100% bought in the minute that Clark Lee walked in and said, I'm the new head coach of Vanderbilt football, pleased to meet you. But the more that this has gone along, you can tell that his buy-in has grown. And I think as his buy-in has grown, so has the buy-in of others. Uh, He buys in, he plays hard, he cares, he's performed well, uh, he's a vocal leader for the team, and, and as that has augmented itself over the better part of 12 months. You just get the sense that, that all of it has, has grown for the defense as well. I, and, and I don't want too much revisionist history. Like the defense has, you know, struggled at times this year. There is a lack of uh, depth of talent that needs to be addressed. Um, and some young players are going to have to grow into their roles. I think of Jadeus Richard and others um, when I speak about that sort of stuff. But at least you know you've got yourself a really good linebacker 
and Anthony Orchie and really good consistent ones behind him, Ethan Barr, um, Kane Patterson, and others that can make some fairly steady plays. And as the defensive line has gotten healthy, the run defense has just, um, you know, it's not perfect, but boy, has it solidified itself. Um, so you just have to be really happy for those guys as they've been able to make some plays. Could be interesting weather Saturday night. Looks like it's going to be raining a good bit over the weekend, and I'm really wondering am, how that I, impacts Saturday's game. I mean, I, I'm 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 sure from like a competitive standpoint, it probably helps Vanderbilt. So, um, you know, good. Uh, you know, <laughs> just from like a human personal standpoint, I'm exhausted. Like, I feel like this this year has just been ravaged by weather especially at home i mean the elon game was delayed because of lightning wake forest was a sopping mess uh uh, it was cold as all get up the other day against florida uh cold as all get up against kentucky uh we're gonna rain again uh here this weekend against tennessee uh i i and 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 from like an, an environment standpoint um not that I wanted to see this place filled with Tennessee fans, right? Cause I certainly don't. Uh, but I wanted a juiced up atmosphere, uh, for our guys on senior day to have this. Oh, I think you'll, I think get you'll a, get it now. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I certainly hope so. I just, I don't want the rain to dampen it too much. That's all. Um, and, yeah. and I say, and I say that also as someone that works within the administration and in the department, because I know how much I just hate it. I know how much planning goes into a football game. It's mind bending. I mean, you know this, Chris, it's mind bending how much planning goes into a singular football game. And the minute that you get weather that uh, is problematic, it just unravels so much of your planning. So I hurt for the people that do all of the planning, myself included, by the way, because sometimes we do the radio show out in Bandyville and we've done um, some stuff working with musicians and so on and so forth. And we've got a very special guest coming to this game against Tennessee. Um, and I'm hesitant to say it uh, only because like, I don't trust anything until it gets to the finish line. <laughs> um, but like you have all of these things that just you, you plan for and, and are only executed at their peak. If the weather's really good. <laughs> so I, you know, from a personal standpoint, that kind of, is a bummer, but from a competitive standpoint, um, you know, if it, if it saps Tennessee's en- uh, energy and their offense isn't quite as efficient because the ball is slick or whatever, then, you know, go for it. Are you ready for the mailbag? Let's do it. All right. Our mailbag is presented by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call. That number six one five eight four six sixty two hundred. See what your rights are and if they can help. Okay, where do we start here? Let's start here. Okay, Ann Arbor Door, do you sense a different mood of the team now that they have a two-game winning streak? How would you describe the team's mood this week? I know I hit on that earlier. You touched on it a little bit, but any loose ends you want to wrap up, here's the place. Uh, no, not necessarily. I think I would just underscore the fact that, yes, the energy at practice has been noticeable. Uh, the smiles are bigger at practice. That is certainly noticeable. But I don't think the gulf between the losing streak and the winning streak is quite as wide, uh, perhaps, as one might 
initially think. I think Clark has done a good job keeping these guys at least as close to neutral as you can, given, you know, uh, human behavior. You know, his mentor, Bobby Johnson, I covered Bobby. He was the same way. Um, I remember one of the coaches on that staff, I, I don't remember what he said, but it was basically like, I don't think that the recruits and players, or maybe I just noticed this on my own, go through the ups and downs that fans do to the extremes that they do. I mean, winning is great. Winning's appreciated. But I, I get the sense that it just isn't the factor for players and coaches the way it is for fans. I think it de- – well, first off, yes. And that's not uh, to disparage either side of that conversation, right, uh, at all. Um, I think it depends on the coach – um, I think coaches, especially types like Clark Lee, like Tim Corbin, like a Nick Saban, um, I think they're so, and, and Clark would classify himself as this anyway. In fact, he used this word on the Monday night radio show. He would call himself a maniac. Uh, and he's talking about, he's a maniac in terms of the attention to detail, the work he's willing to put in, kind of the minutia that he's willing to wade himself into to establish like this stability within the guts of the operation. Uh, and that is ridiculously independent from wins and losses. Um, I I think some coaches probably enjoy that ride a little bit differently. I mean, Shane Beamer certainly comes to mind as somebody that's going to enjoy the ride of wins and kind of dip into the losses, perhaps a little bit differently than Clark Lee. And that's totally fine. Um, I say that with absolutely like no thumb on the scale in either direction. Uh, But I think more often than not coaches in particular, Chris, I'm not sure about players. That would be a different one to get into. Uh, Coaches in particular, I think don't and more of them than most deviate from just like the generic work (laughs) that they're so ingrained to do. It's like, I, I study film, I game plan, I coach, I study film, I game plan, I coach, right? It's just this like never ending cycle internally. Um, Players a little bit different. I think players can ride that wave perhaps more, but never forget the fact that they're 18, 19 and 20 year olds. uh, And when the game is over, they still think about things that are pertinent to 18, 19 and 20 year olds. And that is not negative at all, but, Take yourself back to where you were as an 18, 19, and 20-year-old. Some of them have more maturity within that. Some of them don't, and that's fine. Uh, but, but I think they can turn the page on losses um, a little bit quicker because they have the youth of their life to lean into. Yeah, and think about it this way, too. If Clark comes in going all hot on, on winning and losing coming in, with what he took over, where's that going to go? I mean, that's not uh, going to no, end nowhere. well. I know, yeah. Nowhere. And, I know and people have criticized him for about, it. Yeah. Yeah. No, but if he was maniacal about, like, you know, screaming and yelling about the, the way that you practice and work and all of that sort of stuff, that wouldn't have – I mean, he's he's pushing these guys hard, don't get me wrong, but if he was, like, over the top about it, um, he would lose the players that aren't um, – perhaps mentally equipped for that sort of thing. I think Clark can, I think Clark can go now. Uh, don't let his kind of 
laid back demeanor miss <laughs> miss Legia. I mean, that guy can go now. Uh, he's a freakishly hard worker, um, and very super driven. Uh, but yeah, it would work. And it's also a different generation, man. Like if, if, if you expect people to respond to Bobby Knight's style of coaching, like good luck, man. Like, it's just, that's not where this generation is for better or for worse. And that's not to get into any sort of Gen Z, this millennial, that, which by the way, never forget how old millennials are. They're almost 40 at this point. So as a, as a, as a millennial myself, I kind of chuckle when, when people blame the <laughs> collapse of the nation on the youth and the millennials, like you've got the wrong generation, man. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, it's not to get into any of that. It's just like, they're different, right? I mean, they're just different. So if you're, if you're trying to like grind into a pulp, like Bobby Knight used to do, forget it. No chance. Absolutely no chance whatsoever. And the only way that you can do that is if people walk into your culture knowing that's what it is and step into your culture because they want that. People step into Nick Saban's culture because the proof is there that it turns you into what you want to become. Kind of in the same way that they step into Tim Corbin's culture, which is very driven and methodical and tough and all of that sort of stuff because the expectation is set. But if you try to set that with a bunch of kids that aren't ready for it, no chance. Okay, let's see what we got next here. Um, how many snaps do you think Davion Davis plays on Saturday? That from Ann Arbor, I believe he played three last week for reference. I'll take your word for it. Um, I'll be honest. I uh, I did not notice him on the field, which which does not mean I did not know that he could play. Uh, or I didn't either, but but he did. Right. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I I hunched that he would get in there a few snaps. I didn't actually see it though. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll be interested to see where that goes this week. Um, okay, next, S. Butler the fourth. How does Vanderbilt's recent trajectory compare to the ascent of Tulane? Do you think there are any lessons that apply from Tulane's recent success? How are Clark Lee and Willie Fritz similar, and how do they differ? For people who have not heard you on the podcast before, obviously you spent – Years at Tulane and seeing how Willie Fritz did it, so you're a good dude to answer this question. Yeah, I suspect the question is grounded in the fact that that is my background. Uh, you know, I, it's it's interesting. So I don't mean to belabor any one of my past stops uh, any more than anything else. Uh, you just have the context that you have. Uh, I stepped into Willie Fritz's. Um, I believe his fourth or fifth season. Um, and, you know, he had a couple of really rough years. Uh, and I don't think he made a bowl game until his, his third year. So I was there for his second and third consecutive bowl trip. Uh, they did not go last year, but certainly they're right there on the cusp of a New Year's Six Bowl this season. Um, you know, I think... I, I think what strikes me as similar about Clark and Willie is a, a, a true steadiness to what they're doing. Um, I, I think they are um, very mindful of their um, working conditions, what they are both gifted and what they are both up against. Um, and I mean that from like an academic structure 
Um, I mean that from a city structure, right? I mean, if, if the wrong coach steps into Tulane or Vanderbilt and has their head fall off because there's not enough people in the stands, then it's going to be a problem. Like, I don't see Clark or Willie getting distracted by that. They're football coaches. They care about, um, they care about the way that the team comes together, the way that they execute, uh, and all of that sort of stuff. Um, so th- those are the similarities there. I think they're, I think they're people that are just, um, grounded, mindful, and able to stay focused on the target and not get distracted by the other stuff that would make the process challenging. Uh, and that's not, you know, it, we're up against the Titans here in Nashville. Tulane's up against the Saints in New Orleans. We're up against the Vols here in Nashville, which, you know, bothers bothers me as much as, well, probably not as much as anybody, but trust me, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm getting there rapidly. Uh, it didn't take long uh, to feel that way. Um, and they're up against LSU in New Orleans. Like, if you get too caught up in all that stuff, then you're, you're going to take your eye off the ball and what actually is required to, to build a football program. And they've done it the right way, and they've recruited good kids. They've taught them. They've developed them. Um, you know, the, the, guy that, the guy that's playing quarterback right now for Tulane, his name is Michael Pratt. He was a fairly under-recruited three-star that they found down in Florida, but they found the right guy. They got him in the right system, and, and they made it all work. And they've got a, you know, I, I'm not saying Clark is doing this, right? I don't, I don't want to... Um, mislead but one, one thing that Willie would do is Willie would kind of tail LSU football camps and you know he would find the kids that probably weren't going to cut it at LSU but say hey man come down to Tulane you can win some football games and he peeled off enough of those kids and he built a roster you know Clark's doing it with Barton Simmons so basically what I'm saying is like you've gotten two guys that found unique recruiting strategies for themselves, whether it's Willie, you know, piggybacking off of LSU's uh, camps, or you've gotten Clark getting Barton Simmons to, you know, make sure that CJ did. I don't know if people heard that. I, make Barton Simmons made sure that CJ Taylor didn't decommit from Vanderbilt and go to Arkansas State on signing day. Yeah, um, I did which, catch that. Which is which is just which is just remarkable. But my, my point is you found a quality recruiting strategy to add talent that other people may have missed. Um, there's a lot of work to go for Clark. I mean, Willie's in his like seventh season at this point at Tulane and it's, he's had ups and downs and the administration has stayed faithful to him. Um, and I, I would, I would see no reason that, the administration here at Vanderbilt wouldn't stay faithful to Clark based on kind of, you know, they're talking about five to 10 year plans, not like whatever the new Auburn coach is going to have to deal with. That was a long rambling answer. I hope some of that made sense. No, it did. I don't, I don't, I don't know that they're perfect comparisons. Um, but I, but I just think they're football guys, not distracted by the situations that they step into and they found unique ways to make their situations work. Yeah, no, I, I think that's perfect. Um, let's see the last one. This is about the Anchor Collective. And, and for full disclosure, I got the press release on this yesterday morning. I have not had the chance to really dive into it. 
I know I have spoken to Jason Burns, who well, I say spoken. I've exchanged messages with him. Uh, and I think at some point he said he would be willing to come on our podcast. That was months ago. He said they wanted to get this nailed down first. Now that it's nailed down, I would think that's fair game. I will reach back out to him at some point in the coming weeks. But anyway, with all that as background, H.D. Young says, I saw an interesting discussion online, <clears throat> excuse me, talking about the NIL and collectives that seemed to tie into Vandy's anchor collective announcement. The discussion centered around the fans and boosters having to contribute to the collective versus the school funding coaches' salaries and etc. I wondered if that was accurate and who was expected to be the main source of funding for the Anchor Collective. Will Vandy be at a disadvantage if we are passing the hat among fans to fund this? Okay. Um, I'm going to do my best to answer that with the knowledge that I have while also admitting the places that I don't have the knowledge. Uh, first off, I have no idea who is the primary or primary multiple plural uh, financial backers. No idea. Um, and it's also not really my place as an athletic department employee. And quite frankly, as the radio broadcaster to know that. Um, I don't know if Fandy is going to be at an advantage or a disadvantage based on how they're attracting, and by they, I mean the anchor collective financial resources for it. Um, I, and I say that just because I say that not in any way other than Vanderbilt was always going to do this in Vanderbilt's way. And I know that can create some eye rolls when it comes to certain things, but it's not going to shock anybody that Vanderbilt is going to try to do the name image likeness thing at or above board, right? Like we're not going to do it the way other schools do it. Uh, which I think, you know, at sometimes perhaps kind of knots our stomach, but at the same time, it is who we are. And, and I, and I do think that I think collectively as a group of Vanderbilt fans, we appreciate the fact that, that we're, you know, trying to be respectful and have some integrity through all of this. Um, the first part was a question basically about like, um, is it going to hurt if, if people are donating to the collective versus the main, that, 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 I think that's always sort of been, I think that's an issue for anybody, right? I mean, like there's a finite number of dollars to go around, uh, anywhere. Uh, and, some people are going to have to make decisions on how they want to spend those resources. And I mean that from like an individual standpoint. And I mean that from a business's standpoint, um, some businesses are going to choose to get involved with the collective. Um, and they'll either see the returns that they want or they won't. And they'll go allocate those dollars differently. Um, some people will just give philanthropically to the collective and some people will give, I would suspect to the athletic department philanthropically because not to be dismissive, but making sure that the lacrosse team has what they need is a worthwhile use of their dollars and title nine. So I don't think that would separate Vandy 
any differently than any other place. You know what I'm saying? Like just because it's Vanderbilt doesn't mean people aren't going to struggle with how resources are allocated, right? Like Old Miss is going to deal with that. Uh, Alabama is going to deal with that. You're talking about different dollar figures. I get it. But any place you go is going to, is going to fight the, how do you divvy up your dollars thing as a business, as a person, when you give, to an athletic department. So I don't, I don't know that Vanderbilt is at any advantage or disadvantage with any of this sort of stuff. I think I just, I just think the, the mindset within name image likeness is going to be uh, very much Vanderbilt's. And I, I think it's, I don't think this is necessarily um, a shock or speaking out of turn, but what name image likeness needs to be is underscoring why somebody comes to Vanderbilt. You know, if you're going to thump your chest about the league, the degree, the city, well, well, part of it is the city and name image likeness is, is the access that you have within the city. And it's, it's also going to be why you hold on to your roster, right? Um, if, if somebody is going to jump in and throw whatever, I mean, there's untoward behavior everywhere. So if, if somebody is going to try to pillage our roster, this anchor collective needs to be the backstop that doesn't let it happen. Um, so I'm glad that it's there. Uh, I don't know. I, I think we're all still learning this. Um, some people are curbing the rules and doing it in ways that they shouldn't. Um, and that's no shock to anybody that's been going on for decades, just in different forms. Um, so we'll see. I, I really, I really don't know. I'm glad they have it in place. Um, I think, you know, not to deviate too much, Chris, I just, it's funny. Like I, 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 have you seen the book that Andrew Marin has put together on the centennial of Vanderbilt stadium? I haven't seen it have yet, you, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. go check it out. I mean, like he did such a wonderful job on it, but I had the very distinct thought as I was flipping through it, like whatever was old becomes new again. So I recognize that perhaps anything that I say or others say could feel um, recycled at some point. But, and I don't know that Vanderbilt ever ascends to anything that, that my eyeballs see, and nor are my eyeballs the primary driver of the vision. Um, but this place, especially with a winning football team and an energized athletic department and an energized chancellor, which we have, by the way, and I'll try to post this on, on Twitter as soon as I can. And I think we'll put it up on the podcast, but I spoke with Chancellor Deermeyer at halftime uh, against Florida. And he's just, I mean, I don't have the context of everybody, uh, but he's just a different guy in terms of what he cares about and why he believes athletics matters and his willingness to devote some resources to it. It's not Alabama's resources, fine, but it's more resources than have ever been devoted. My point of all of this is with a winning football program and a structure that is together, the access points within this city open up. You're going to want people and people are going to want to be around your program. And that's from a business standpoint. That's from, you know, the celebrity culture here in Nashville. It's the total energy that if you catch lightning in the bottle at the right time can come together. And I just, I think, I think having an access point for the business community, the anchor collective, all of that sort of stuff to, to be a part of the recruiting 
kind of retention of your own roster um, and how it can buoy just the whole current model of college athletics for Vanderbilt is, is good. I, I really don't, uh, again, I'm, I'm piecing together my thoughts as I speak and I apologize for that. Um, I just, I, well, it, I it's new all, to all of us, yeah. right? I mean, I, I think we're all, all still, us, yeah, just, we're all figuring it out. I, I guess just my point is like, it's easy to see around the corner of what could be for Vanderbilt athletics from a, connection with the business community of Nashville, uh, a connection to the celebrity culture of Nashville, uh, the entertainment culture of Nashville, um, what you could provide a student athlete from an education, from an exposure, uh, from a financial resources aspect, the structure is here. Um, and I just, I'm hopeful and all of it goes with winning. Uh, nothing really moves forward without winning. But I'm hopeful that because at least it seems to me talking to people and hearing your conversations with Luke Wyatt and all of that sort of stuff, there are more systems and structures in place now and are growing here at Vanderbilt because of Deermeyer, because of Candace Lee from folks like Mark Carter and Tommy McClellan and so on and so forth. Um, that, everything people thought Vanderbilt could be or once was with like the Oak Ridge boys coming to games and whatever those, those things could be in the future again. So I, I hate to, I hate to be like what was old is new again and try to pass off any thought as original. It's just, I think there's more systems and structures to help this place get back to it in a way that it hasn't had the ability to do for the better part of, um, you know, 20 or 30 years. I mean, what Franklin did was miraculous and wonderful, but it was a sugar rush. Uh, and sugar rushes have crashes. And I just think, I just think if Clark is able to win, it's going to be more of a carbohydrate thing, right? It's just going to be better sustained. Andrew, really appreciate you joining us on a holiday week. Hope you have a fantastic holiday. Uh, look forward to seeing you in the press box on Saturday, any parting thoughts, broadcast notes, anything like that before we leave today? You know, listen to halftime. I'm really, again, I'm so I'm nervous about anything that you plan that is big and fun because there's always a chance that it implodes before it actually happens. But I genuinely think we're going to have a very cool guest in our booth at halftime and somebody that would be up on the video board uh, and somebody that would matter to Vanderbilt fans. And you talk about like reconnecting Vanderbilt with the entertainment section of Nashville and all of that sort of stuff. So I don't, I don't want to say too much because I'm always nervous that it implodes before it actually happens. But I think, I think we're like 99% of the way there to making these things happen. Um, so I just, I think someone fun is going to be around and, and I hope people enjoy a good football game with engaging people there how's that works for me can't wait to see what you guys have uh cooked up for saturday (laughs) (laughs) thanks all right andrew thanks for joining us happy thanksgiving we'll see you saturday 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk, and Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, VandySports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VandySports.com. Follow me at ChrisLee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.